Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. Here we are back on the cushy side of the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. Hi there, I'm Deacon Jeff, and my co-host is Tom Dorian. Tom, you're going to have to watch what you say today. Uh-oh. Well, I've got my lawyer back here. Are you going to sue me? No, I'd never sue you. He's Thinking a, about it? He's a good guy. He is a good guy. Um, actually, we do have a distinguished lawyer joining us again as a guest today, and he's here to help our listeners understand just what we mean when we uh, speak of the authority of the church and, and how that actually plays out. Um, we often hear about this document or that papal pronouncement or the other dogmatic definition or what my priest said or what my bishop said. But what is the Catholic obligated to believe or to accept? Uh, where does opinion come in? And what about binding authority? So all of those things come into play here. We want to figure out just what, as Catholics, we have to believe and why and how that comes to us. So we want to welcome our guest to the luxurious corner booth. Robert Hutton. Thank you, Deacon Jeff. Hello, Robert. How are you doing? Oh, pretty good. Wonderful. So who's our uh, our waitress? Rita. Today? Wonderful. So Rita's going to take care of Robert. I know he's a, he's a water drinker. He's a water drinker and a donut hole eater. Uh, I'm not too much into donut holes. Don't like Tom. the donut holes? He's going no. with Rice Krispie Treats today. You're the donut hole eater. Yeah, we, can... we need a healthier menu. There's too many donuts and cookies. I mean, we need a oh, no, the menu is healthy. There's plenty of good stuff there. It's just many people overlook those We got a bologna things. sandwich if you'd like that. Yeah. I've yeah, heard about the Dorian. The Dorian. <laughs> yes, absolutely. That's wonderful. So, Robert, I know you've heard this old joke that, uh, you know, how do you know that a lawyer is lying? <laughs> His lips are moving. His lips are moving. You've heard that before. But luckily, see, we're on radio today. So, so no one can see my lips. <laughs> no, so you are going to be telling the truth here. Robert, no, he's a, he's a really that good guy. That was good, man. You worked on that for a week, I bet. <laughs> he's, a, he's a really good guy. He doesn't. He's not going to be lying to you. So, Robert, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the authority of the Catholic Church. Now, I know... When you say the word authority, uh, that means different things to different people. When you're talking to a Catholic, that means one thing. When you're talking to a variety of different Protestants, usually what that means is scripture. You know, what what do we mean when we say authority, first and foremost? What do you think we mean by that? Well, Deacon Jeff, I think we need to take it back to the beginning. Fundamentally, what do we believe as Catholics? We believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He rose from the dead. He established a church. And we know in our faith, one of our beliefs, part of that believing in Jesus is that Jesus took Peter and uh, said, you are rock, changed his name to Peter and said, what you bind on earth is bound in heaven, what you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. So he gave Peter some authority and he also gave the other apostles authority. And the last thing he said to him was go make disciples of all nations, teach them all that I've taught with you and I will be with you until the end of time. So a Catholic understanding is that the church was created by Christ. It's more than just a collection of believers. Uh, it is a collection of believers gathering, but that the Holy Spirit guides the leaders. That power given to Peter to bind and loose, that Holy Spirit and Jesus being with the church to the end of time. So that when we talk about authority, we simply are, um, as Catholics, believe that Jesus didn't leave us orphans. That while we're waiting, that the Holy Spirit is with the believers, but the Holy Spirit is also concretely with the leaders of the church. And so throughout time, those leaders have basically addressed moral situations and taught us truth. Now, they don't make up new truth. I mean, they're taking the truth that the Lord 
taught us, that the Lord taught the apostles. And a lot of that truth ended up being penned in sacred scriptures. That's where we got that, you know, uh, the sacred scriptures. A lot of the apostles wrote scriptures, and not just the apostles, but other people in the church basically said, hey, these are infallible. These are the inspired word of God. But that same church that created those scriptures still exists today and still teaches because new things come up. In fact, let's think about something. Um, you know, the church never defined marriage as being um, between a man and a woman until recently, the year 2000. Now, is that because we've never believed that, Tom? No, I think they've always believed that. They've always believed it, but it was never really questioned until Just modern accepted. times. Well, yes, exactly. So what happens, we see is new things come up in the world. New moral problems come up. The world that never would even have been thought of 2,000 years ago. Can, can two men get married or two women get married? That wouldn't have been an issue 2,000 years ago. Or if you're talking about uh, you know, uh, embryonic stem cell research, you know, Jesus really didn't address that, did he? Exactly. So we see the wisdom of the church for having to be able to address things throughout the ages that, that come up. That's why the church is a living church. And that's why the church, which was created by Christ, um, gives us a, a, a vehicle to make sure that the believers, the baptized here on earth, basically have a sure rule, a sure roadmap to know how to uh, separate good from evil and how to address the challenges of, of, of modern life. And that happens in every generation throughout time. But again, the understanding that, you know, from a Catholic perspective, you, you, you say that, and I see a picture of the Vatican in my yes. head. I see this great institution founded by Christ that is helping us to understand and interpret um, all of God's revelation, in, including sacred scripture. But when you're saying these words about authority to, um, uh, to our Protestant brothers and sisters, they're seeing this and they're saying, well, yes, but we view Scripture as being that authority. So when we bring up things like embryonic stem cell research, what we have to do is we have to read Scripture. I've heard it said read Scripture for all it's worth or read Scripture in light of Scripture or some, some common phrases where they're using Scripture and they're trying to glean from Scripture how should I deal in this new situation? Uh, Deacon Jeff, from a Catholic perspective, what a Catholic would say, very respectful of you know other people's beliefs, though, is that Jesus didn't write a book and say, here's a book, guys, go on and figure out what it means. That Jesus, We do know Jesus established a church. And everyone agrees, Catholics included, that the scripture is the infallible word of God, the inerrant infallible word of God. Mm-hmm. But what good would it do to have an infallible book with five billion people that are fallible interpreters of an infallible book, what would happen? Understood. You would you would end up with with many different disagreements. So basically, what the church understands is that scripture is authority, but it's kind of like in the legal world, what the Constitution can't really be separated from the Supreme Court, which is the interpreter of the Constitution. In other words, if you say, well, we don't need those Supreme Court justices. No, I know a lot of people believe that, particularly with some of the, uh, the, the things <laughs> right. I've done recently. But if you just said, well, here's a copy of the Constitution. Everybody have their own Constitution, and everybody will just apply what that means. Anarchy is going to ensue. We would have absolute anarchy. That's correct. And so that's why the Lord, if you look in the Bible itself, first of all, the Bible doesn't show Jesus saying we're going to create a book and we're going to read it and everybody's going to understand what truth is. Uh, he said, it, the Bible shows us him creating a church, picking leaders of the church, breathing on them that word penalma means giving them his spirit, giving them authority and telling them to go out and to do something. And that's what our Catholic understanding is. Now, over time, the, the, the bishops and, uh, and, and the Holy Father have taught through writing letters. Some of those letters even became in scripture. 
the epistles of Peter, for example, right? First right. Pope uh, became part of our scripture. Those are letters. Those are letters that were written, um, letters to people. So that uh, throughout the years, bishops have written letters to communities, just like Paul. St. Paul wrote letters to communities. He was a bishop, an early apostle of the church. And that continues to this day. Now, we've got fancy names for them today. Encyclical, which means a circular letter. Well, that's where we get into what I think we need to sort of shift gears here and start talking about. It's very confusing for especially non-Catholics, but even for Catholics. What is infallible? What's not infallible? What are things that cause me to be obligated? And what are things that are cause me to be uh, pointed in a direction, but they're only uh, uh, friendly reminders or spiritual helps? You know, Maybe we should start with... What are some of those different kinds of documents or pronouncements, or how does that work? Well, one thing, Deacon Jeff, I often tell people they need to think about. A dogma is the highest level of church teaching, which is what, something we believe as Catholics. What binds people as Catholics, it's a common belief. There's certain things, if you don't believe them, you're not Catholic. If you don't believe Jesus literally rose from the dead, you're not Catholic. Now, that's fine. I respect your right not to believe with it, but don't say you're something you're not because you can't be Catholic and not believe in the resurrection. Essentially, those are, the, those are the teachings that make us Catholic. Right. What if you believe that Mary had children other than Jesus? A lot of people think, even Catholics I discuss with them today will say, oh, you know, that's not so big deal. You know, as long as it was a virgin birth for Jesus, what she did afterward, that's, you know, extracurricular activities. That's her on her, on her own time. She's okay. It's, it's not a big deal. However... Based on what you're talking about with dogma, if you don't believe that, you're not Catholic. Right. I mean, ultimately, people can have differences of opinion, but there's some beliefs. What makes us Catholic is a certain core set of beliefs, which uh, the creedal statements, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and on and on, and other dogma, solemn pronouncements of what constitutes to be Catholic. If you don't believe that, like a person doesn't believe in God, well, I respect your right to disagree. But you're not Catholic. Don't call yourself uh, Catholic if you don't believe in God or if you don't believe in the resurrection. Those are, those are key beliefs. There are other areas, like we see in the early church, for example, with the dispute over whether or not the circumcised, you had to be circumcised before uh, you, you came into the church. And the whole, the whole issue with the Judaizers that we see uh, talked about in Acts of the Apostles. So through, throughout the church, things come up where that maybe don't directly address what we believe in terms of God. But moral practices or, or, or ritual practices, do you have to be circumcised to be Christian like you did under the Jewish law? And the church also has authority over those issues. We see that in the, the, the first council in Jerusalem where the apostles came together, they prayed about it, and they issued a binding authority on that. So that is where we see the seminal teaching on magisterial authority. That the church's authority is not just with respect. Well, you just said magis. I want to make sure people. When we, you just in, you introduced a wonderful new word, magisterium or magisterial authority. What is the magisterial authority you're talking about? Magisterium is a Latin word for teacher, and basically, it's the church's teaching authority, which is the bishops of the world in communion with the successor of Saint Peter, the Holy Father, the Pope. Uh, they have a teaching authority from Christ because Christ told them to go out and teach all that was taught to the end of time. So the magisterial authority is the authority of the bishops teaching in union with the Pope. And sometimes those teachings are so solemn that they need to be put in writing. And when they're put in writing and they're writings that are approved by the the, the Pope, the Holy Father, or uh, written personally by the Holy Father, uh, that's called magisterium documents. And those are binding authority upon Catholics. Wonderful. we got a lot more to talk about with authority after this short break. But uh, uh, first, I just want everyone to, uh, to know about our website at www.thecatholiccafe.com. 
And there you can find a wealth of information. You can go out and research the Catholic Church on the web. We have wonderful links there to do that. And we also can download this particular show. We have MP3s available. You can also get into podcasting if you're into that kind of thing. And also, I'd love to hear from you. You can contact me at Deacon Jeff at thecatholiccafe.com. So stay with us. We'll be right back. I'm Bess Drzezemski, and this is another great moment in church history. St. Thomas More was born in London, England in 1478, son of Sir John More, a prominent judge. After receiving a firm grounding in religion and the classics, he decided to follow in the footsteps of his father and pursue a career in law. He studied law at Oxford, where he also continued to pursue his love of Greek and Latin literature. He did well among the elite in the inner societal circles, making many new and influential friends, including both bishops and scholars. But he also became a man torn between his father's world of civil service and his eternal father's world of the church. In fact, he submitted himself to the discipline of the Carthusian monks living at a nearby monastery, and he seriously considered joining their order. St. Thomas's desire for the religious life was finally overcome by his greatly felt calling to serve the common good through governance and politics. But his devotions to prayer, fasting, and penance would remain with him and serve him well the rest of his life. He became a barrister and was soon headed for Parliament, where he became known as fair-minded and impartial, and a friend to the poor. After several years of successful service, St. Thomas More caught the eye of King Henry VIII. St. Thomas garnered the King's favor and was made Speaker of the House of Commons, then eventually Lord Chancellor. All was going well for St. Thomas when his meteoric rise to prominence came to an abrupt halt. Unfortunately, King Henry sought permission from the Pope in Rome to divorce his wife, Catherine of Aragon, and marry his new love, Anne Boleyn. St. Thomas, well-versed in church law and devoted to her teachings, knew that the king's sacramental bond to Catherine was indissoluble and refused to endorse the king's plan. When the king severed ties with the universal church and decreed himself to be head of the church in England, St. Thomas More resigned his post. He was eventually imprisoned in the Tower of London, along with his friend John Fisher, the only Catholic bishop who would refuse to acknowledge King Henry VIII as the new head of the church. The two men were tried for treason and put to death within days of each other. Before he was beheaded in 1535, St. Thomas More quietly said, I die the king's good servant, but God's first. St. Thomas More is the patron saint of lawyers. His feast day is June 22nd. I'm Bess Drzezemski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. We're here in the luxurious corner booth at the Catholic Cafe, and I'm still joined with our lawyer friend, 
Mr. Robert Hutton. Robert, you doing okay? Uh, great, Deacon. Thank you. How's that Rice Krispie treat? You uh, said you weren't going to eat one, but you, you're eating one. Well, just a little bit. I understand that. Hard to resist. Uh, so <laughs> let's uh, let's continue on with our talk. We were ju- we just left with speaking about the magisterium. What what other forms of uh, authoritative teaching as Catholics do we do we listen to? Well, if if you think about it, as Catholics, we're plugged into different communities. Uh, in each community, we have authority over us. We're in a local parish where we, we, we locally worship, where we have a pastor that's appointed over us. And that's in part of a diocese where we have a bishop. And then, of course, we have the, the universal church with Rome. And then there are other sort of subsets where dioceses are grouped together for um, uh, Episcopal conferences. And they also have, um, uh, you know, get together and they talk about issues that direct particular regions. So... As Catholics, just like in the, on the civil side, we have a lot of authority. You know, we have our mayor in a city and the governor in a state and the president of the United States and Congress. On the church side, we have a lot of people in authority over us as well with different levels of authority and responsibility. Dogmas are what we must believe to be Catholic. Otherwise, we're not Catholic. If we don't believe a dogma, then, I mean, there are many people that don't, but they shouldn't call themselves Catholic because, because if you don't believe in the literal resurrection, that's part of what it means to be Catholic. Uh, in other words, if you were if you're playing on the St. Louis Cardinals baseball team, but you insist on wearing a New York Mets jersey, you're not playing on this team. <laughs> exactly. I mean, because ultimately, a religion is a set of beliefs of what we believe is true about the world. We believe Jesus Christ rose from the dead, established the church, uh, that He is the Son of God. There are three persons in one God. Uh, there, there are a lot of uh, dogmas, or simply teachings about what we believe is true about God, or about how God wants us to live in the world. Now, there's a whole other set of teachings related to faith and morals um, that are not at the level of dogma, but that basically are binding upon Catholics. Issues about uh, whether, and there's a whole host of issues that could uh, uh, be in that. Uh, liturgical disciplines, not eating meat on Friday, that are disciplines that the church uh, presents to us because they, um, because they help us grow in our spiritual life. Certain disciplines, not eating uh, for an hour uh, before communion. Things that the church presents, uh, and even moral issues that uh, are taught with stem cell research, euthanasia, things that have come up now all magisterial teaching, even if it's not a creedal statement, but is binding upon Catholics because we believe that the Holy Father has that charism from Peter of, of basically teaching truth. Now, so basically dogmas, creedal statements, fundamental statements about what we believe about God, those have to be believed. Moral teachings that are, are taught solemnly with that sort of solemnity, the same thing. All teachings that are uh, from the Holy Father, we, we believe that we are binding in conscience upon us as, as Catholics. Now, there are also bishops write pastoral letters. Our pastor might preach or write a, a, a letter from a parish about a particular issue in, in, a, in a community. Those are persuasive authority. In other words, they are not of the same degree of binding, but they are persuasive much in the same way, uh, I mean, Tom, um, how, were you close to your grandfather? I, I was. Okay. Well, I mean, if you talk to your grandfather about something, would you listen to him? I would. And why, why is that? I trust him. I believe him. I think he's going to look out for my own, my own interest. interest. And he has lots of experience. He's been around for a while. Lots of experience, right. uh, wisdom through the ages. That's the same way with respect to our, our pastors and our bishops. Our pastors and bishops are not perfect. But, but if the pastor comes out one day and says, all right, everybody here, all the guys are going to start wearing red ties from this, this day forward, we're not going to listen to something like that. 
No, I mean, uh, you can have a crazy pastor just like you could have a crazy mayor in a city that does something. But we have none of those here. I want to make that clear. Right. Yeah. Uh, none, That's a good, good point. But, but my point is, but the overwhelming majority, you know, we take the, uh, uh, of pastors are generally trying to preach the word of God and address particular issues. And we owe them a duty of respect and we owe our bishops a duty of respect. So, you know, Tom, yes, I mean, I want to ordinarily we should always listen to our to uh, we should give great deference to people in authority over us. But just like in the civil side, you could have a crazy mayor that does something crazy or um, you could uh, occasionally have a, a pastor that says something crazy. No, we don't have we don't have to listen to that. Um, what we do have to do is respect their office to listen to them, to try to understand what they're saying, to respect the uh, authority of people over us and to give that due deference um i love my grandfather to death i think he's a very wise man because of his age he's got a lot of wisdom i don't agree with him with everything um, but i listen to him and 99 percent of the time he's right on things um and it's the same thing with um uh, pastors and bishops and the bishops conferences that they write uh, letters and, and talk about every issue from environmental issues to labor and and caring for the poor, we owe them a duty of respect to listen to them, sure. uh, but that's not going to have the same level of binding authority as an encyclical um, uh, from the Holy Father uh, talking about an important issue like Humana Vitae, which talks about artificial contraception, or Evangelium Vitae talking about the immorality of abortion and euthanasia. Um, those are at, at, at much higher, more solemn levels that um, we know as Catholics were guided by the Holy Spirit. But, e- but even so, you want to, we want to make sure it's clear that if our grandfathers in the church, you know, those people that we look up to, the people that are wise, that have lots of good things to share with us, if they are sharing, it's not that we have to or are obligated to listen to them. and, and it's, it's just that we should want to. E- exactly. And, well, we, we owe them a duty of respect. Okay, we, we do owe them that, and we owe the church, our pastors, and people in authority over us a duty to listen to them and to try to understand what they're saying. Um, the difference is that if you think about it, as Catholics, we believe that the Holy Spirit guides the magisterial. So that if the, if the Holy Father tells us that abortion is wrong, we can't say as a Catholic, well, you know, I listen to that, but, you know, I think abortion's okay. Okay, that's at a different level because our church has taught us. In fact, our church has taught us for two thousand years that 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 abortion is morally wrong. Okay, I mean, it has since the first century. Now, if you take another issue, let let's say that the um, that the bishops have a pastoral statement on some new image, an immigration issue. We owe our bishops we uh, duty to read it, to try to understand it, to see it in the mind of the church. But it's not going to have the same level of authority as a document that comes from the Holy Father in terms of its binding nature. It's more of a persuasive document that we do owe them a duty of deference to listen to, but it's not the same compelling nature of a, a teaching that's solemnly uh, taught by the Holy Father. But you are saying that there are there are things that are on a level that we cannot deny. We cannot go our own way and or we'd be risking leaving the church at that point because we would be leaving the church not the church would be kicking us out we would be volunteering to exit the church because we don't believe these creedal statements these magisterial statements these particular dogmas that are defined as such as infallible we don't believe those so then we'd be saying that we don't want to be in the in the church however there are also 
those statements, those um, those helpful things, spiritual guides along the way, they're going to give us great insights that we should want to listen to. Right. And, and a lot of that sometimes referred to as the hierarchy of truths as well. Okay. That uh, ultimately we have to believe dogmas. Um, you know, in the Middle Ages, they talked about heresy. Well, what, what a heresy was, was somebody that denied a dogma of the church. That's different than uh, the pastor who wants you to wear red ties. Right. So... Now, obviously, we just want to sort of turn the tables on the discussion just a little bit. And right now in our modern society, we have a lot of conflicting information out there. We have some really high-profile Catholics who might think a certain thing about the church. For instance, you mentioned abortion. And there are some people that actually believe that uh, while it, in and of itself the abortive act is not something that we'd want to do, but would maybe call into question whether the church actually infallibly teaches that abortion is wrong or has always held that abortion is wrong, that this has always been a, a question so that there might be an opportunity there for you uh, to, to have an abortion and not be going against uh, church teaching. So how do we reconcile or how do we deal with those, with those types of issues that, you know, right now we have a lot of conflicting information out there? Well, Deacon Jeff, unfortunately, there are a lot of people that will believe what they want to believe. Um, and there are a lot of people that have irrational beliefs. There are people today that believe that the, the world is still flat and that no man's never been to the moon and that was all made up in Hollywood. I mean, people can believe anything. But what it fundamentally comes down to is if we believe, our core belief as Catholics is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, rose from the dead, established the church as a way to help us to spend eternally with him, and the church teaches us truth. I can respect somebody who says, you know, I don't believe Jesus rose from the dead. And they say, I'm not a Christian. You know, I'll become a Jewish person or I'll become a, a Hindu or whatever. I respect that person. What makes absolutely no sense is somebody says, you know, I'm a devout Catholic, but I don't believe in the resurrection. Or I don't believe in um, papal infallibility when the Holy Father is the successor of St. Peter's teaching uh, infallibly. Because what they're doing is they're, 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 they're believing in inconsistency. They're believing 2 plus 2 is 4 and 2 plus 2 is 5 at the same time. How can you say I am Catholic? I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That he breathed on Peter, said, "What you bind on earth is bound in heaven." Peter teaches that abortion is wrong, and then, but lo and behold, well, I think Peter's wrong. Implicitly, the two beliefs are mutually exclusive. It's all about identity. It's finding out what it is the Catholic Church teaches, and if you're going to call yourself Catholic, live the Catholic faith. Understand what the Church teaches and live it. It's that simple. That's right. Wonderful. So this has been a wonderful eye-opening discussion. I hope our listeners have heard what you've had to say and share with us about uh, authority. And I guess we just want to prayerfully consider what authority we listen to, where we get our authority. Uh, and we want to raise this up to God and, and listen to hear what he has to say. So let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are the author of all that is true in life. Help us to be open to that truth, to freely accept it wherever it might take us, and give us the humility and wisdom to follow that truth as it is defined and proclaimed by your church here on earth. We ask you to grant this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. 
There's always room for one more at our table. 